Hey everybody, how are you today? My name is Taylor and this is Morbid Academy. And welcome to another Urban Legends episode. Woohoo! Yay! If you're new here, hi, my name is Taylor. Welcome to Morbid Academy. And I decided a while ago to cover urban legends in every state. I've done Michigan and West Virginia so far, and today we are covering Montana. Also, just a side note on the urban legends, it's not just urban legends that I cover. It's also hauntings, cryptids, spooky stories in that state that I want to cover, but there's just not enough information for an entire episode. So I just call it urban legends because I needed to call it something, right? So anyway, let's get started, shall we? Yes, there's a shirt and a mug with that saying on it at morbidacademymerch.com. Go check it out. After you listen to the episode, though, then go check it out and buy stuff, because... Also, if you become a Patreon member, you get a 10% discount. Yay! Saving money! Alright, let's get started, shall we? The first urban legend I have for you is that of the Flathead Lake Monster. You know I love a good Nessie story. Loch Ness Monster, she's my babe. I love her so much. So when I find a story that is similar to her, I gotta cover it. I gotta cover it. So Flathead Lake Monster, located in, yep, the Flathead Lake. The first recorded sighting of this one was back in 1898 by Captain James C. Kerr and his 100 passengers of the U.S. Grant steamboat. He claimed that they all saw the monster. And since then, there have been like 110 reported sightings. There's probably even more that have not been reported. It's described as a 30 to 40 foot long eel-like creature that's either like brown or blue, bluish green in color and has steel black eyes like a shark. And if you watch Shark Week like I do, you know those things are fucking creepy. I love sharks so much, but their eyes, they're terrifying. They're just black holes. No emotion whatsoever. Anyway, the story of the monster comes from a Kootenai, I apologize if I said that wrong, traditional legend. According to the story, the first native tribe in the area lived on an island in the middle of the lake. One winter, while the tribe was crossing the frozen lake, two girls saw antlers that were about two feet long protruding out of the ice. Assuming that they belonged to some animal that had fallen through the ice, they decided to chop off the antlers and take them home. Okay. The girls started to cut through the ice using sharp rocks when all of a sudden the antlers started to shake. The ice around the girls split open and the head of a monster appeared, shaking its antlers. Apparently, the two girls had special powers and were able to use them to transform themselves into a ball and a buckskin target to escape the monster. Why they decided those things to escape a monster, I don't know. But, unfortunately, half the tribe fell into the lake and drowned. It's said that this is the reason why there are so few Kootenai people to this day, with the total population in the entire United States being just under 500 people. That's insane. I bet we can figure out another reason why there's so few, few of them. 
my settlers. Anyway, as I said before, as of 2018, there have been about 110 documented sightings of the Flathead Lake Monster with an average of like one or two sightings a year. But in 1993, there were 13 documented sightings of this creature. What were you doing to make the creature mad that all of you had to see it? Hmm? In the 1950s, a cash reward was offered to anyone who could catch the, quote, super fish of Flathead Lake. And one man did catch like a seven foot, 181 pound sturgeon, which is now in a museum, by the way. But that was in the 1950s. 1993, there were 13 sightings of the creature. So obviously that was not Montana's own Nessie. She's too cool for that anyway. But obviously they didn't catch it. And a sturgeon doesn't look like an eel. It's also not 30 to 40 feet long. So one article I saw said that there was no scientific evidence for such a creature to live in Flathead Lake. Well, no shit. If there was scientific evidence for it, it wouldn't be an urban legend, would it? And that's the Flathead Lake monster. The second urban legend I have for you is the Phantom Hitchhiker of Black Horse Lake. No, there is no theme of lakes here. The Black Horse Lake is actually what is known as a seasonal lake. So it's actually dry pretty much throughout the whole year, except for early spring to early summer. Supposedly, if you're driving down Highway 87 along Black Horse Lake, you may run into the Phantom Hitchhiker. And then randomly he'll just appear in front of your car and act like you hit him, rolling over your hood and into the windshield and then off. And then he just disappears. Like, rude, why? Rude? I didn't hit you. Don't act like I did. Stop being dramatic. I feel like that's just a little dramatic, right? Some people have said that it's just an illusion because I guess it's just Highway 87 right there is just like, it's very long. There's like nothing to obscure your vision and it's just an illusion. I'm sorry, what illusion makes it look like there's a hitchhiker that acts like you just hit them and then disappears? It also doesn't account for the multiple reports of people doing this or seeing this and it happen. Yeah. Shut up. All the stories of this phantom hitchhiker say that it looks to be a Native American man wearing either jeans or overalls and has long black hair. I couldn't find when the first reporting sighting of this was, but it said that has been reported over and over for years, possibly even over generations. Many believe that the hitchhiker is the ghost of a transient Native American who is just unfortunately stuck in a loop of their last moments. But there is no proof anywhere that that happened. But that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Hit and runs happen. And as we all know, if a person isn't white, the stories can just go by the wayside. Is that problematic? Yeah, it is. But that's all I'm going to say about that. You can fill in the blanks. And that's the Phantom, Phantom Hitchhiker. In Montana. Every single state I feel like has a phantom hitchhiker, unfortunately. This is why you don't hitchhike. You could be a phantom hitchhiker. Don't. Just don't. My lights went out again at some point. 
wants to buy me new lights. Well, those lights are officially dead. Anyway, on to today's third urban legend, the Moss Mansion in Billings, Montana. In 1903, entrepreneur Preston Boyd Moss built a mansion for his growing family. He and his wife Martha had moved to Billings with their two children in 1892, and they later went on to have a total of six kids. That's a lot. With the last, little Virginia, being born in the mansion in 1903. The mansion consists of a modest 28 rooms located on a two-acre lot. Today, it's a museum that is basically like walking back into 1903. Everything was completely perfectly preserved. All the original wood paneling, the furniture, the carpets, and Moss family artifacts. Unfortunately, Virginia died at the age of just five years old from diphtheria. Preston died of a heart attack in the home in 1847, and then Martha died suddenly from a cerebral hemorrhage, sorry, in 1851, in the home at the age of 87. So that's three people who died in the home. Sorry, there's actually four. Melville, the third Moss child, lived in the home from the age of seven when the family moved in until her death in 1984 at the age of 88. So that's four people who died in the home. Melville is also the reason why the home was so well-preserved and got onto the National Register of Historical Places in 1982, just before her death. Now, it's said that little Virginia Moss, along with her father and her sister, still keep an eye on the place today. The nurse who was attending to Melville the night before she died said that she woke up in the middle of the night, went to check on Melville, and saw the apparition of a little girl standing near her bed. Which is so cute, because it's like your little sister who died when she was five probably has been looking over you since then because you've lived in the house your literally like your entire life and is like there to welcome you into into the afterlife. I think that's adorable. Also, female voices have been heard in the billiards room and even caught on EVP. Staff have seen shadows in various rooms and felt a cool breeze that seems to move up their bodies. An EVP of a woman with a little girl have been heard in the main lobby. Singing has been heard upstairs. After playing some music, an investigator said that she saw a, quote, a shadow in the French parlor near the harp and a shadow in the library and heard some kind of noise. Preston has been seen walking down the main staircase and was even caught on EVP saying, bring me a flashlight after the lights had been turned out for an investigation. That's me. I don't, don't turn, I need light because my imagination will go and all the shadows in the dark will become something. I, give me a flashlight, that is me. And the last tale that I have for you today is the haunted Little Bighorn Battlefield. And I feel like if it has Battlefield in the name, it's gonna be haunted. No shit, it's a battlefield. No matter what, it will be haunted. So you may have heard of the Battle of Little Bighorn, you may have heard of it. You may know nothing about it, even though you've heard of it. That's me. I knew nothing about it. Like I've said before, history class, in one ear, out the other. It, no, but it occurred in June, 1876, 
13 years before Montana became a state and was between federal troops led by Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer and a group of Lakota, Sioux, and Cheyenne warriors. Again, I apologize if I'm saying any of those names completely wrong. Tensions between these two groups had been rising since gold was discovered on Native American lands. Shocking, the white settlers wanted the gold for themselves. During the mid-19th century, the U.S. government was trying to confine the Native American people to reservations. Because we suck. But in 1875, when the gold was discovered in South Dakota's Black Hills, the U.S. Army ignored the previous treaty agreements and invaded the region. Because we suck. This betrayal led many Sioux and Cheyenne tribesmen to leave their reservations reservations, wow, I cannot talk today, I apologize, and join Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse in Montana. When a number of tribes missed the deadline to move to reservations, the U.S. Army and Custer and his 7th Cavalry was dispatched to confront them. Custer, who apparently had the biggest freaking ego and way too much confidence, soon realized that his forces were greatly outnumbered by the Native Americans who were fighting under Sitting Bull's command at Little Bighorn. By late spring 1876, more than 10,000 Native Americans had gathered in a camp along the Little Bighorn River. Despite the U.S. War Department saying, go back to your reservations or risk being attacked. In mid-June, U.S. soldiers lined up against the camp and prepared to march three columns strong, whatever that means. About 1,200 Native Americans turned back the first column on June 17th. Five days later, Custer's 7th Cavalry was ordered by General Terry to scout ahead. And this is where General Custer's big fat ass ego ruins everything. On June 25th, Custer drew near the camp and decided to press on instead of wait. He and his 600 men entered the Little Bighorn Valley and word spread quickly around the Native American tribes that about the impending attack. Some men told Custer that they had been spotted and he was like, you know what, I don't care, let's just go. Because dumbass. He went anyway. And about 3,000 Native Americans attacked him and his 200 men in his battalion. Now, originally it said 600 and then it said 200, so I'm not sure exactly what happened there or what number is correct, so. But I got this all from history.com. Within one hour, Custer and his men were dead, along with multiple Native Americans, the haha Custer and his men. Today, the battlefield is a national monument that's open to the public, and a marker stands at each place that a soldier died, including Native American warriors. So, of course, the place is fucking haunted. Obviously. Many have heard the echoes of men screaming as they're being killed. Some have even claimed to see parts of the battle playing out in front of them. A park ranger, Mardell Plainweather, who had a sweat lodge near the Bighorn River, was pouring water over the hot stones after an elder had used it. And when she came out, she saw two warriors on horseback on the bluff looking down on her. Near the battlefield cemetery, many have said that they feel a deep sorrow and loss. The apparition of Lieutenant Benjamin Hodgson has been seen repeating his death 
There's also a two-story stone house that is located in the middle of the battleground, which was built in 1894 for the cemetery caretaker. And eventually, at some point, it was made into two apartments, an upstairs and a downstairs. At one point, Ranger, Ranger Jacobson and his wife moved into the downstairs apartment, and they soon experienced doorknobs moving on their own, doors opening and closing by themselves, hearing unexplained footsteps from the upstairs, but no one was living there at the time. No thank you to all of it. At times, when no one was living in the house at all, people would see the lights on from outside. One time in the 80s, a park interpreter had gone to check out the stone house when the lights were on on the second floor to make sure that nobody was in there because there was supposed to be nobody in there. And when he turned out the lights and went outside, his wife was running towards him. I guess they lived in a duplex nearby. And she said that she had been watching TV when the screen just went dark and she heard a voice say, the second floor of the stone house. There was nobody in their apartment when that happened, except for her. There was no reason whatsoever. And her husband had just been on the second floor of the stone house. No, thank you to all of it. And then General Custer, along with another apparition of a soldier, have been seen roaming around the visitor center of the battlefield of Little Bighorn. And those are the four quick little urban legends of Montana. I'm sure there are more. Those are just the ones that I could find some information on. I know there are more like ghost jogger hitchhiker types in Montana. Just no to all of it. It's so creepy. I do hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Let me know what state you would like me to cover next. Please write and review the podcast wherever you do the thing. It really helps the podcast out, helps it get out there. I really appreciate it as well as just share the podcast with everybody who likes true crime, paranormal, creepy crap. Become one of my creeps. Thank you so much. And as always, you can find Morbid Academy wherever you get your podcasts with new episodes out on Fridays and the videos out on Saturdays on YouTube at Coffee Creeps and Cake. If you would like extras, bonus content, Patreon-only episodes that I started this month and they are out on the first of every month, along with more perks, please, please consider donating to patreon.com slash morbidacademy. If you would like to donate to the podcast, like whatever amount you would like with not really caring about the perks and just want to do like a one-time donation, you can do that over at buymeacoffee.com slash morbidacademy. Please check out the merch at morbidacademymerch.com. Follow along on Instagram and Facebook at morbidacademy. Don't forget to tag me in your merch because I would love to see you repping the podcast. Thank you in advance. And send me an email with whatever you would like me to cover in future episodes along with your creepy stories that I would love to read on the podcast. I would freaking love it. Send those over to morbidacademy at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you keep it creepy, friends. Bye-bye.